to God. But I'm going to read to you Matthew 18, 1 through 6, and then we'll turn to the second passage together. Matthew 18, verse 1. At that, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you would, go ahead and our passage for the sermon is First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we may, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. Now, you know, I don't know if you notice this, but man, if you're like a preacher, and if you are a studier of the Bible, you know what you see? You see tons of great outlines in this passage of Scripture. I mean, there's tons of outlines. I've heard people preach on the three parts, continually bearing in mind your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. There's three points. <laughs> now, there's just a lot of great meat here, great stuff here. But today, what I wanted to do is, is move out of Philippians for a second and look at this passage and look particularly as we prepare for the Lord's Supper at the doctrine of election. Now, many people think about the doctrine of election, and the first thing they do is they just go totally chaos because they think this is very controversial, and it is to some degree. Um, but there's no controversy here. I'm going to show you why. It's very plain here. And as we understand the doctrine of election from 1 Thessalonians 1, we're going to be helped to prepare for sitting and eating the bread and drinking the wine. 
this morning. So in our text, we see Paul and Silvanus. And Silvanus, that's just another name for Silas. Paul and Silas and Timothy. And they are writing to the church of the Thessalonians. And they know something. Did you see that verse 4? It says they know something. What do they know? What are they convinced of? Well, it says there that they're convinced of this. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. Now, how do they know that? Knowing, how do they know that? How can they be so sure that the Thessalonians have been chosen by God? I thought election was something secret. I thought election is something that only God can know. And it is. But those who are the elect of God or chosen by God, they do certain noticeable things. They do certain noticeable things that are evidence. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy concluded that these Thessalonians were the elect of God because of what they saw them doing. And they saw them doing certain things. So here we have a passage of Scripture, and I think we can say it forcefully repudiates the idea that people cannot know they are the elect of God. You can know it if these things are evidence in your life. You can know it. You can know it. And so I want to show you these evidences, and we look at these evidences and ready ourselves to eat and to drink together. First of all, the first evidence is this. You receive the gospel. The first thing we would say is the elect of God are receivers. Receivers. Put that in your mind. Verse 6, having received the word. Verse 8, having received the word of who? The word of God. Verse 5, having received the word of God, were the Lord our, he says, gospel, verse 5, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So these are ministers who are talking about the effectual calling from their perspective. Now, I think I've talked to a few of the men in the past and I've told them, I said, you know, I should write a book on what I see in people's faces while I preach. There's things you see. There's, there's the guy who sits in his chair and he's, he's just got his head down and he's just not going to, he's not paying attention to what you're saying. He's not going to believe this stuff for anything. And then there's the person who's melting. And then there's the person who's hurting. And there's all these things you're seeing. And they are saying, we watched God take our sermons and break people and turn them into Christians. That's what, that's what they're saying. We watched God. We experienced the power of God in our preaching. We saw this supernatural event taking place in people's hearts. So I want to give you this example, and I want you to remember this. Probably going to say this. I'm going to, pro- I'm going to promise to give you this illustration probably twice a year. Here's the second time. When Joshua leads the children of Israel around the walls of Jericho, once they're finished, what were they told to do? Shout. (laughs) They were told to shout. And when they shouted, what happened? The walls came came a-tumbling down, right? Isn't that the song? The walls came tumbling down. Now, if you and I go in here behind these curtains and we shout at that wall as loud as we can. Let's make sure we pull it back up. Now, if we shout it as loud as we can, will we knock the wall down? I've never seen it happen. I was thinking about football games, 100,000 people at football games. When they're screaming and yelling, do the walls go tumbling down? Do the stands go falling down? No, they don't. 
But if God tells you to scream at a wall and God backs that scream up with his mighty power, it'll fall down. And these guys are saying, while we were preaching, God took our preaching, backed it up with his spirit's power and entered into the lives of people. It wasn't just something that they heard and fought against. It wasn't just something that didn't have an effect. It had an effect and it changed people's souls. God took the message and brought it home with power. Now, when you think about dynamite, there's one thing about dynamite. The gospel is like dynamite. It's unlike, it's, it's spiritual and it's not like dynamite in a physical way in another way. I'm going to tell you what, what I mean. Dynamite does something. What does it do? You know, when I was a kid, I, li- I went to First Baptist Church in Tyler, Texas, and one day I w- I'm going down the street and I'm looking at all the streets. Everything's covered with dust, little bitty fine dust particles. Why is this everything turned, covered with dust? And my dad says, well, it's covered with dust because they imploded that building over there. Remember, remember that building used to be there? They set charges and they, they blew it to pieces and it imploded. And all the dust just goes everywhere. Dust was everywhere, all over, every wall, every brick, every glass, everything. And that's what happens when the gospel comes. <laughs> it levels us. It shows us that we're sinners. It shows us that we've sinned against God. It shows us that we're discontent. It shows us where we're envious. I don't think Ben would, would be upset with me for saying this. Well, we're having a drink the other day. <laughs> I can't remember what he ordered, but I think I had, I don't know what I had, some berry, you know, berry drink. And he said, man, you had to talk about, you had to talk about envy. <laughs> you had to talk about envy. Yeah, we talked about envy. We, we have idols in our lives. We're leveled. We're shown that we have idols and we're shown that we have problems with submission to authority and we're shown that we have problems with purity and we're shown we have problems with anger leveled. The dynamite, the gospel is like dynamite. It levels us. It shows us we've sinned against God. All of a sudden, we're awakened by the gospel. Before that, we're asleep. There's some people when, they're, when the preacher preaches, they just sit there. They don't hear anything. They may have their eyes wide open. And they don't hear anything. And then this dynamite comes along and they're shown their sin. There's this destruction that takes place. But also the gospel, unlike real dynamite, this spiritual dynamite's constructive. It rebuilds. It takes walls that have been knocked down and it rebuilds a new, and it makes a new life. It makes a new person. It makes a new creature in Jesus Christ. Wills that were opposed to Christ are now wills that are not opposed but embracing Jesus Christ as never before. And so we have this destruction, and we have this construction, and we have these new wills. The question this morning for you is, have you received the gospel of Jesus Christ, not in word only, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction? We come to church, we grow up, we live our lives, we have walls around our hearts. Walls that say no to Jesus. Walls that say, I will play my game instead of listen to a sermon. Walls that will not listen to, to anything that has to do with Scripture. There's a woman that I used to train, and one of these songs came on. Guys, you know, I, got re, I, got, I, I didn't listen to anything but Christian music for eight years, and then I had to go back into the normal routine listen, in the gym. And so, so one of my ladies, she said, did you hear that song? He just talked about grace. I said, don't worry, it's going to go bad. 
It's going to go bad. He just said grace. He didn't really mean the kind of grace that I talked to you about. You know? And we don't want to hear any of this. We have these walls and God's gospel comes and it breaks those walls down. There's nothing more important than, stand, than having these walls broken down by the gospel and being remade. In Matthew 18, 1-3, we read that just a few minutes ago. The disciples of Jesus, they come to Him and they say, Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And back in those days, y'all remember, if you read your Gospels, let me tell you one thing I've been doing lately. I've been listening to, um, to the Bible on, on uh, my phone. Because, I, man, I can, I, I can listen to so many chapters every day. Instead of listening to news, I'm listening to that. And I'm just, and anyway, how many times do these men say, What's, who's, the, who's the top ranked guy in the kingdom of God? Who's the top one? Who's, who's the, how do I rank? And so the disciples are going, where do we rank? How do I rank with Sadducees and Pharisees? And how do I rank up with these, these peers of mine? And Jesus is going to answer this question. But they're so concerned about improving their position in the kingdom of God. And so, he, so what did Jesus do? Remember the passage? He took a child. and I'm sure he didn't just go, hey, child, come up here. I, I'm sure he said, hey, Selah, would you come up here? And would you sit with me? Took this child, put this child up in front of these old guys, these old guys that are asking who's the best, who's the number one guy. And then he says, truly I say to you. Now, anytime you read that, what? I hope everybody in here knows. If you see truly... I say to you, or truly, truly, or you see, Saul, Saul, something important's coming. You better listen. You can forget everything, but here's this really important thing. And he says this, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You guys are thinking about the wrong thing. You are thinking you're in the kingdom and jockeying for position in the kingdom, and I'm worried about whether you're in it or not. <laughs> you see? They're, they're, they're saying, we're in it. How do we jockey for a better position? And Jesus is saying, look, unless you're a child, unless this pride of yours goes to the wayside, unless you're leveled, unless you see you're a sinner, unless you're recreated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to go really bad for you because you're not even in it. Remember the first things are first. These, you have to be, I, I wrote in my notes here, you have to have these ideas of grandeur for yourself leveled. Thinking yourself great, humbling yourself. Has God taken this message and broken down the walls in my life? Has God taken this message and turned me from somebody who won't, listen, won't read the Bible? I had a woman a couple of years ago. She's standing, we're standing outside. We had this big fan going because we were doing COVID, COVID sermons. And we had this big fan, it's about this big, probably cost $3,000. It's got that water spewing in front of the fan, you know, it's kind of cool. And I'm telling this woman, who's at least, well, she's probably my age. <laughs> and I kept saying, you need to read the Bible. Well, I, I, I know I need to read the Bible, but I, why are you telling me? I said, because I'm your pastor. <laughs> what do you think I'm going to say? Well, I don't want to read it. I know what it says. I know you know what it says, but go read it again. Why won't you read it? And so she did. What Walls, I won't pray. I won't come to church. I won't forgive my husband. Walls are broken down. Well, I'll move on. Second point, second point. 
Not only are you a receiver, but you become an imitator. That's the second evidence of somebody who's elect of God. The elect of God are imitators. Verse 6, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord. So imitators are those who mimic. You know, we, you ever called anybody a mimic? You know, a mimic. A mimic, it means to follow a pattern. It means to watch someone and do as they do. And the, the Thessalonians are following the patterns of Timothy and Silas and Paul. They're following. And who are they following, by the way? Who's their pattern? Who are they following? Yes, exactly. And so they're actually mimicking Jesus Christ. When justly, justly's coming for Father's Day, and happy Father's Day to all of you, right? Happy Father's Day. Um, justly's coming to see me. But, you know, when she was little, she used to mimic us. If I kissed Lori, she kissed Lori. I remember one day I came in and I had my pop pockets full of stuff and she came in and she had she had taken toys and filled up her diaper and filled up all her pants full of all kinds of toys. So her pockets were all and her pants were filled up with stuff. And then she came in and I had a set of keys and she had to have her set of keys. And these Thessalonians are imitating these preachers. And it says here in verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Now listen, here's the mo most important part. Having received the word, your receiver, in much tribulation and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now why is that important? Now it's obvious that you and I cannot imitate Jesus at every point, right? Because Jesus is the one who existed before he put on human flesh. Jesus is the one who came and lived this, in this world perfectly. Jesus is the one who went to the cross to save us from our sins. We can't save anybody. We can't imitate him at this point. But you know where we can't imitate him? We can imitate him by receiving the word in the midst of tribulation and joy. Jesus was a man of sorrow. But you know, Jesus was also a man of great joy. It was both. <laughs> it was a mixture all the time, sorrow and joy. How can I know that I'm the elect or chosen of the Lord? I can know by imitating Jesus, receiving his word in the midst of difficulty and trial. When difficulty comes my way, I don't give up the word of God. I don't jettison it and let it go, but I hold it fast and I go through the trials. You know, I don't think we talk about this enough, but I'm going to say it again. We do hurt. Make, make sure you know. I've said that. Make sure you know. Your preacher tells you. You do hurt. I know you hurt. I hurt. I'm getting older and I'm hurting more. Right? But we hurt. And sometimes we might even complain. Y'all ever complain? But somewhere in the middle of that complaining, Somewhere in the middle of that hurting, there's this, there's this little thing that wells up in my heart. And you know, it's a little flag and it says, what's that place where you go eat? A Mexican food place. You raise the flag and they bring you up. They come and say, how many more of these do you want? And they bring you 25 more. You know, there's this little flag that comes up in my heart. And you know what the flag says? Jesus reigns here. The king is in residence here. And even though I might find myself hurting and complaining, there's joy that Jesus reigns here. Immediately prior to Paul going to this church, Thessalonica, he was in Philippi where he had been beaten with rods and Silas was there with him. And what were they doing? 
Well, I'm sure they were hurting. But it tells us that they were praying to God and singing hymns of praise. So there's tribulation and there's joy. How can I know that I'm the elect of God? Well, I receive the word and I imitate Jesus and suffer with joy. Third, you can become examples. You become examples. The elect of God are examples. Look at verse 7. So that you may, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So imitators become examples. They imitate the preachers. They imitate the preachers who are imitating Jesus. And the word example, it means to strike a blow. It means to leave an impression. It means to leave a mark. So, you know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, he says that he beats his body. He literally says, I'm put a, make, give myself a blind eye. I mean, a black eye, not a blind eye, black eye. He strikes himself. He leaves a mark. Now, if you, um, if you put your foot in wet cement, what do you do? You leave an impression. <laughs> so there was this guy named Mark Wheat when he was about 12 years old or 11 years old. He watched his first Olympics in 1972, and uh, from then on out, I was running. I mean, I was always running, but I was always running. I was always, people are always, what are you doing out there? I didn't even know what training was. I was always running. I was always shooting baskets. I was always running. I ran all every place. My mom and dad moved from 1424 East Dawson, 2700 Rockbridge Road, and I was out in this sort of land where nothing was, and I could run on trails, and I went on these trails running all over these trails. It was so great. And then as the years went by, the trails started disappearing because houses started being built and the university came into existence. And I found myself out running one day on a curb way far away from the house. And the next thing I know, I'm sinking in cement. I didn't know it was wet. I was trying to get out of it. And I hit, the, I hit that pavement five times trying to get out of it. And finally, I'm out of it. I went back four years ago and I see those same footprints are still there. My ninth, my ninth grade footprints, my 155-pound body left impressions there. And that's what he's saying here. Moral transformation of the Thessalonians has left a mark. People see it. They know it. And those who are chosen of God and imitate the Lord Jesus, they are leaving impressions. Have people left impressions on you? Have your mom left an impression on you? Your dad left an impression on you? There's people in this church who are leaving impressions on you, who pray for you, who love you, who talk to you, who care about you. These impressions are being left on you. What kind of impressions are you leaving on others? I mean, we could say, what kind of impressions are you leaving on your kids? What kind of impressions are you leaving on those around you? But that's what a person who's elect of God does. They receive and they imitate and they go out and they leave impressions. Well, finally, uh, I think I got this word from one of the commentators. Soundboards. I'm going to have to explain that. You become a soundboard. It's sort of like a speaker. But look at what it says there in verse 8. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith towards God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. Now, this is kind of where I feel sorry for the Apostle Paul because, see, he's ready to tell these people in these different places how he's preached and how it, well it was received. And they're going, you don't need to tell us. We already know. Can't you just see? He's so excited to say, God, use me. And 
like poked a hole in his bubble, you know, because he's so ready to say it. And these people are going, no, we already know it. Well, why do they already know it? Well, because the Thessalonians are sounding it forth. They're talking about it. We've already heard it from them. You got here and you're ready to tell us about it, but we already know it. A sounding board is something that stands in the middle. That's the definition I got out of the book when I read this. And, it's, and what it does is a sounding board receives sounds. It receives musical notes. It receives speech, a speech, or a cert, receives a sermon. And it takes those words and it reinforces them and then it transmits them out to those around them. That's, a, that's what a sounding board does, sort of like what this does, right? Takes these words, takes it over there, shoots it out to you. And that's what's going on. These Thessalonians have been sounding out what they received. They've been giving out the Word of God. They've been giving out the gospel of Jesus Christ, this joyful experience. Yes, through much suffering they have received it, but a lot of joy as well. Those who are the elect of God are those who are soundboards. They facilitate they talk about, they reinforce what they've heard and give it to others. Well, what were these people hearing? What did these people in Macedonia and Achaia and other parts of these areas, what were they hearing? Well, here's what they were hearing. Look down there at verse 9. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you. Skip on down where it says, and how... You turned to God. Now, here's your points. This is what they heard. These elect folks, you turned to God. Now, listen to me carefully. They turned to God. They didn't turn to it from one political party to another. They turned to God. They didn't turn from Fox News to Daily Wire. They turned to God. They didn't turn from one preacher to another preacher. They turned to God. They turn to God from idols. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe some of you guys have watched this movie called Gladiator. It's kind of bloody. But you know, this movie called Gladiator, there's the guy, the hero in the movie. He, he has these little figurines. And he has this little house. And he has this little deal where he burns incense to those figurines. One's his wife, one's his son. And this is how people back in those days would worship. They had little figurines. They had little idols. These things were given from father to son and daughter, mother and father and son. It just kept going down. These are precious things. Go ask Russell Crowe, who is Maximus. Go ask him what he would do to you if you broke his figurines. It wouldn't be a pretty picture. These things were people. These people love this. And now they're turning. This is the same kind of thing. They're turning from these Idols, these precious connections, these precious things. Now, you and I, we may be a little bit more sophisticated. We may not have figurines that we burn incense to, but we have things we hold on to like idols, don't we? The biggest thing we have to do is turn from ourselves, right? The biggest thing we have to do is turn from idolizing ourselves. The biggest thing we have to do is turn from pleasing ourselves and maybe from romantic relationships that are contrary to the Word of God and living for sport. You know what? I found out I was really a believer. I really felt like I was a believer when I went from working out four hours a day to reading the Bible four hours a day and working out an hour a day. I was going, wow, there's something happened to me. 
Worshiping sport. Worshiping in the mirror. Worshiping the way I look. Worshiping my clothing. Worshiping and having shoes. I had a friend in the gym who had a hundred pairs of Nike shoes. A hundred. Turning these things around to serve God and have clothes to the glory of God. To work out so that I might serve the Lord. Not work out so that you might see how good looking I am. Right? It's a total change from this idolatry of self to this serving God. And that's the next point. Turning to God from idols to serve a living and true God. It's serving. It's serving. It's glorifying. It's doing what I'm doing for God. It's not a flash in the pan sort of thing. We could look at rocky soil hearers. You know the story about the rocky soil. The seed goes on the rocky soil and the seed's doing everything it can to get down in the ground and, and form a, a root, but it runs, into, it runs into the rock. It runs into something underneath there, gravel. It's either rock or gravel or some big slate of, of, of rock there. There's no place for a root to grow. And so everything in that seed goes up and you see all these leaves, you see all the foliage, and then the sun comes out, and because there's no depth, there's no root, the sun burns the leaves up. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a temporary service. We're talking about serving, turning to God from idols and serving the one true and living God. I'm submitted to Him. And finally, he says here to wait. This is what they're hearing. This is what they're hearing that the Thessalonians have done. They wait on Jesus. Are you waiting on Jesus? Have you turned from sin, idols, to God, and you're serving, and now you're waiting? Now, what do we do when we wait? You know, I, I was, um, I don't use this term very much, but I was tasked by my redheaded wife to prepare a room upstairs for my uh, mother-in-law. And um, what do we do when we prepare? Well, we have to change the comforter. We have to change the sheets. We have to change the whatever, and we get the bed ready. And then my task was to go get the sham carpet shampoo machine, and I shampooed it twice because I was trying to earn brownie points with my wife, and I got that room all cleaned up. And then what do we do when we know somebody's coming? We go and buy their food they like. We get ready. Maybe they take them to a movie they want to go see. We, we do everything we can to uh, make them happy. What are we doing? Are we waiting on Jesus the right way? Are we waiting? Are we anticipating? The same way we're anticipating somebody coming to see us. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. He's going to save us from the wrath to come. And we need to be preparing. How do we prepare? Well, we do what we're doing right now. We do this. <laughs> we worship. We get together. We talk together. We spend time together. We pursue holiness. We press on to maturity. This is what the world should be saying about us. We are turning to God. We're turning from idols. We're serving God. We're uh, those who are waiting on Jesus. Well, as we think about the Lord's Supper this morning, the words of institution, I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. The Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. So as we come to worship God and take the supper this morning, we remind ourselves that it did happen. This bread speaks of something that happened. A body was broken, and this wine speaks of blood that was poured out for our salvation. But not only are we here to remind ourselves, but we are here to commune with Jesus Christ. We do believe Christ is spiritually present in these elements when we set them apart from their common to sacred use. We remember what he did, but we're also eating with him spiritually. The same way you receive God's grace through your ears and in your heart by faith, you're receiving God's grace in your mouth with these elements. We don't believe they become the body and blood of Christ, but spiritually they become the body and blood of Christ and we receive grace, and we are strengthened today as we eat and drink. We are also asked by Paul to examine ourselves before we do so. Now, that's where the sermon comes in. How do, how do, I, how do I prepare for this? Well, do you receive the gospel? Do you imitate Jesus Christ? Are you leaving impressions? Are you talking about these things? Ask yourself that. It's really simple, a really simple checklist Am I chosen of God? Those who are members of our church or another church are welcome to this table. Those of you who have placed yourself under the accountability of a session of elders, you're welcome to this table. And if there's a sin in your life, I would ask you to turn from it. Examine yourself. Is there a sin in your life? Turn from it. If you refuse to turn from it, it would be better for you not to eat lest you drink judgment on yourself. Also this, this morning, if you don't know what we're doing, if you say, I don't know about this receiving thing you've talked about, well, then think about that as the trays are passed in front of you. Think about what we said. Think about destructive and constructive issues that relate back to the gospel. Have you seen your sin? Have you seen your sin against God? Do you need Jesus to save you from your sin? The first thing you do is receive Jesus as your Savior. The second thing you do is you come and you sit down and you eat. So think about those things first, and then we'll talk and we'll eat later. So as we participate eating and drinking, you participate by thinking about what you heard preached. And so, beloved, are you hungry? Are you guys hungry? Are you thirsty? Jesus says that he will renew us and strengthen us in our inner man as we eat and drink this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this meal that you give to your disciples. We thank you that you feed us and energize us in our ears as we receive your gospel preached. We thank you for energizing us as we eat and drink with faith in our hearts this morning. Renew us for the days ahead. Strengthen us to do your will. Lord, help us turn from all our sins and receive this meal today, trusting only in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.